Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 257 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We have got a game that Duke played this weekend to tell you a little bit about. We're going to look ahead to next week's ACC Big Ten Challenge. But before we get to any of that, I'm your host this week. My name is Jason Evans. I am joined, as I always am, by my delightful compadres on this journey that we've been on for five plus years now. Sam Klein, what's up to Sam? Jason, it's been six years. I said five plus. Which is, which is <laughs> technically true, but you, we, we debuted in, in December of 2014. So it's now been over six years of this show. Pretty wild. Yeah. That's amazing. Donald Juan, what you think about that, Donald? Uh, this sounds great, but real quick, I want to give a shout out to uh, my high school class, the high school class of 2000 at Detroit Country Day School. We, had, we were supposed to have a reunion uh, this year, but obviously COVID has uh, really wreaked havoc with those things. So one of my classmates did the smart thing and created a Zoom union. So last night I was able to gather with about, about a third of our classmates that, you know, some people couldn't make it, uh, but it was cool to catch up with everyone. So shout out to Detroit Country Day, class of 2000, the best class in Detroit Country Day history. Uh, I, I think Shane may have something to say about that. I was going to say, Shane Battier but, may but have a comment about that. He understands. <laughs> uh, so uh, with, with that fine word, and, and yes, congratulations to your class on your 20th reunion. Um, uh, the, a delightful thing. I've participated in a few of those in my day. No comment on how many reunions I'm looking at right now. <laughs> it's more than 20. Let's just put it that way. More than 20. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, let's get to the uh, game that we want to talk about because that is the first thing on our plate today. Uh, the Blue Devils play Bellarmine. Um, first game ever for Bellarmine at the Division I basketball level. Duke did not treat them nicely. Uh, Duke ends up winning 76 to 54. Uh, it was a reasonably competitive game through halftime. Uh, 35 to 25 was the score at the half and, and Bellarmine had been closer than that a, a, a good bit there in the, in the first half. Uh, but Duke ran away, especially in the first, you know, five, seven minutes of the second half. Uh, it was a game in which all 11 Blue Devils played, um, you know, all 11 scholarship players. And, uh, and, and they all had, you know, a little moment here or there. Every single one of them scored, um, gave us our first dose of Patrick to pay, gave us our first sort of extended look at Henry Coleman. Uh, but guys, we're going to do something a little tiny bit different this week. Just going to see if we like it. We're going to break our recap down into a series of categories. Uh, the first of these categories is the headline. And what I want you to do is give me, you know, one to two sentences, just your overview of the game. And I'll get you an idea of what, what we're looking for here. Here's my headline. My headline is that Duke's big men stepped up to dominate a smaller team. Hurt Williams and Breakfield were the best players on the floor, in my opinion, now, my question is, can they do that against a team that has legitimate size? So that's my headline. That's my big takeaway from the game. Donald, what's your headline on the game? We had many concerns entering this game, and one of those was satisfied. That was the shooting. I like it. I like it. And Sam, what's your headline? Let's go good and bad on the headline. The good side is Matthew Hurt fills it up for Duke from deep, which is one of the things that we have been looking for and, and expect to be a key part of Duke's offense this season. And the, the bad side would be turnovers continue to be a problem for the Blue Devils because Duke turned the ball over 18 times against Bellarmine. Duke shouldn't be turning the ball over 18 times against a team in their first Division One game. So that, that's going to be something to continue looking at, especially coming in, into the game against Illinois. And in fact, Sam, I like that, that, that good and bad theme because our next category is going to be good news. So I'll go to you first, Sam. What's the good news that you had from this game? No, no criticism here. I just want to hear the positives. 11 guys were ready to play in this game. And we obviously haven't seen them all yet. You mentioned, Jason, that this was Blue Devil fans' first look at Patrick Tepay in a dark blue uniform. If you Decided to go back and watch old highlights. He's only ever wearing a Carolina blue uniform from prior to this season when he was at Columbia. But we did finally get to see him play five minutes for Duke. We got to see everybody else for more time than that. And I think it's encouraging that even though they didn't play their best game, perhaps outside of Matthew Hurt, Mark Williams had a, had a nice night. Jer uh, Jamin Brakefield had a nice night. But for the most part, I don't think we saw the best of the Blue Devils, but it was nice to see all of them. Lots of rotation switching, lots of different guys getting minutes. So we know that 
depth is going to be a strength for this team going forward. How it all shakes out is still to be determined, but I think depth is the, is the most important and best thing we saw on Friday. Uh, Don, what's your good news takeaway from this game? Jamin Brakefield off the bench has been a wonderful surprise for us. I know we talked uh, in the preseason about how he might be the 10th or 11th man off the bench. Guys, he could be the 6th or 7th man uh, in the game because he has been filling it up whenever he gets in, and he's been efficient in his minutes. 12 points in 16 minutes, uh, another another double-digit uh, point game for him. He had another one against Michigan State. I will I will say he's in the contention for player of the week if we're if we're discussing that early. But Jamin Brakefield's play off the bench has been a, a wonderful surprise for us. I think that Coach K cr- clearly trusts him more uh, than we thought he would, and he has come along sw- splendidly, especially replacing Jalen Johnson in the first half when Jalen Johnson had foul trouble. So J- Jamin Brakefield, another great game for the Blue Devils. So let me say about Jalen really uh, uh, sorry about Jamin really quick. Four for four from three-point range. The last time a Dukey went four for four or better from three-point range was Ryan Kelly, who did it against University of Pennsylvania. That's where my son goes, where my wife went. UPenn in 2012 was the last time a Dukey went four for four. The only other freshman, the only other freshman in Duke history to go four for four from three-point range, Mike Dunleavy did, against, did it against Clemson and Andre Dawkins, Dre, did it all the way back in 2009 against Wisconsin. So and, he that, the, and he is the first one to do it in Cameron. Yes, that is correct. So that'll tell you a little bit about how, uh, how surprising and, and how impressive Brakefield's performance was. I, I think Donald's had it here where Brakefield is probably the, the standout of the early season here because I think going into the season, you could have talked me into Jamin Brakefield deciding to redshirt this year given how many different options there were for Duke seemingly ahead of him. This is when we were talking so much about Henry Coleman being a a key part of the big man bench rotation for Duke. And look at how well Brakefield has played in in all of these games, even in limited minutes and and especially against Bellarmine. I think he's going to be someone to watch in the game upcoming in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So each of you have done your good news. It's time for my good news. and, And I don't know how, but we each came away with a different item. My good news item is this, Mark Williams. Mark Williams changed the game when he was in there. He, he blocked four shots. I'm sorry, but he, he impacted, he changed, he, he nullified in some way about a dozen others. He has some of the best shot blocking instincts that I have seen in a Duke player since perhaps Sheldon Williams. I'm trying to think of someone else. Wendell Carter was a good shot blocker, but I, I feel like Mark Williams may be the best rim protector that we have seen at Duke since Sheldon Williams. Part of it is trying to figure out whether it's just that Bellarmine is a lot smaller. They, they are smaller, not maybe, I mean, it's not like they're all 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, they have, you know, several 6'7 guys out there. I, I, I'll be very interested, super interested in seeing what Mark Williams does against some of the big men on Illinois, uh, which is a team that has one of the best centers in the country, in Kofi Cockburn. Um, we're going to get more to that in a little bit. But uh, Mark Williams, I think, you know, uh, this was really, really impressive. And I have one more good thing. We cannot talk about this game without talking about DJ Stewart. Absolutely. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So, I, so here's what happens. Somebody. No, no, no. So here's what happens. I had two things in my good news that I was going to mention. Mark Williams was the first, and DJ Stewart was going to be the second. And, and Donald raised his hand, and he was like, wait, I want to get in. And I thought, oh, he wants to comment. On, I'll let him comment on Williams before I get to DJ. Dude! <laughs> but so, yo that go that ahead was and then i'll finish go ahead okay so first of all i liked that after the game they you know how the duke blue planet does the interviews and it was matthew hurt and dj stewart and usually they flash like their stat line underneath it and for dj stewart they flashed like what was it five assists and one poster <laughs> so first of all <laughs> was it no 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 it was it was six dimes and six one dimes poster. one poster yeah yeah so uh clearly that was the highlight of the game it was the number one on the top five that Duke releases every, you know, every after every win. Uh, but man, that one was like, it, even the, the, the broadcaster was kind of like, okay, DJ Stewart, like he steals the ball. Like, okay, DJ Stewart, what are you going to do with this? And wow, he yammed it on someone. And the guy was just like, how do you do DJ Stewart? I didn't DJ know Stewart, do that. DJ Stewart is similar in size to Nolan Smith. In, I think he was like in the six one, six two, like not very big, like clearly athletic, yes. but not that big. And there was a game my freshman year when Nolan Smith 
well, you know, he was, he was a freshman on the team. He, he was still new. And he also threw down like a pretty hellacious poster dunk on somebody. I can't remember who it was against, but everyone was like, it oh. was, it was Southern Illinois where he dunked over two guys. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Southern Illinois. And, and everyone was like, Oh, Nolan Smith has, you know, six, one Nolan Smith has that in his arsenal. Okay. And, like, and no one's like, Smith that's good. Would- he would do that thing where he did it a lot senior year uh, where he would yam on someone and get the and one. And he would like, like do that. Like he'd do this thing with his hip where he would like look like he was a gunslinger uh, and to call the and one and he needs. So, so DJ Stewart needs a signature move. If he's going to keep doing that, I, I want him to have a signature move for that because that was awesome. So the thing about DJ Stewart, I was going to say, for, first of all, with that dunk, my, my wife sometimes, she doesn't watch a lot of Duke games. She typically lets me do the watching and she's just like peripheral to it. She happened to sort of look at the screen when that happened and she said, wait a second, who is that? He didn't look very big to be doing that. So when you impress my <laughs> wife, that's impressive. But ironically, the thing I was going to say about DJ Stewart was not, I was not going to talk about the dunk at all. I was going to mention the fact that this is a Duke team that is desperately looking for a creator, for a facilitator, for someone to give everybody else easy shots. We have struggled all year with getting easy shots. Duke's shooting percentage this year, it was way up in the Bellarmine game, thank goodness, and it needs to stay up. But we have had some bad shooting (laughs) so far this season. We've taken bad shots, and a lot of that falls upon which of our guards, which of our point guards is going to create opportunities for guys where we get better shots. I, the thing I saw from DJ Stewart in this game was a creator, a facilitator, a distributor. We mentioned he had six assists. I think there were several other plays where his pass led the defense to adjust that led to the next pass that led to the guy who got the basket. Um, and those kind of, you know, hockey assists, if you want to call them that, that, that may be one of the biggest things that baseball, I'm sorry, that basketball statistics miss. Uh, and DJ Stewart had several of those. He came to Duke primarily as a shooting guard. He was playing some point guard yesterday, uh, sorry, on Friday in the game. And I won't be surprised if we see more and more of that from him. And speaking of point guards, I do want to mention, I thought, uh, I, I thought Jordan Goldwire had a, had a very nice game. Um, his kind of facilitating is the same as DJ Stewart, but that was Goldwire's best game this season. And he is someone who has struggled this year so far. All right, guys, so let's get to the next category that I have. We just did good news. That means we got to do a little bit of bad news. Donald, start me off. What, what, what was the thing that you saw that, that bothered you the most in this game? So I have a 1 and 1A, one and they both are linked together. The first, the 1A, is Jalen Johnson getting into foul trouble. If he's going to be our best guy on the floor. Again, by be, the way, again, second yeah, game in a row. Second yeah. game in a row. And it's, it is not like where he had it late in the first half. He was out for almost the entire first half because he got two fouls real quickly. If he needs to be the best player on the court, he needs to be on the court to do that. And right now he hasn't been on the court. We, we've only seen him late in the second half. He still had nine points in 15 minutes, which is fairly efficient for uh, a big man. But you want him in the game for 30 minutes because you know he can impact the game. And the other thing that kind of ties into that is we were talking about the turnovers. A lot of those turnovers that we have have come because we are, we are doing too many times where we drive and get charges. We need to slow down and really be more in control with the basketball because we can't have five, six, seven, you know, charges uh, called against us because we're trying to drive the lane and make something happen. We need to let the game kind of come to us a little bit more. And if we cut those down, I think that's an easy way to cut down on those turnovers. I was also going to highlight the turnovers and, Donald, I think your observation about the charges is interesting going into the Illinois game. We'll talk about this more when we preview Illinois, but attacking Illinois is actually a way to beat them. So I'm curious to see how well Duke learns from the mistakes they've made the last few games and applies them directly into the next game. All right, guys. So my bad news. I I hate I hate calling out a specific player. But sometimes you, uh, you got you to gotta do it. You got to just mention it. Um, my bad news is Wendell Moore. God, what is, what is up there? After 0 for 9 last game against Bellarmine, he shoots 1 of 7 from the field. Whew. Wendell Moore's shooting slump is taking on Jack Whiteian proportions. I mean, remember last year, Jack White had a stretch where he could not hit a 3 to save his life. Um, uh, Wendell only had one turnover, but it sure felt like everything about his offense was shaky. Uh, he, he's having real trouble with his handle. I noticed he only played 20 minutes in this game. 
Um, th- this is a guy who in the final 16 games he played last year only played less than 20 minutes once. This is someone who since, you know, basically the beginning of his freshman year, you've been able to book him for mid-20s, upper 20s, 30 minutes a game. He only played 20 minutes against Bellarmine. Um, and, and his shooting on the season is now down to just 25% on the team, just 25% field goals, only 11% of his three-pointers. And he's, by the way, it's, he's shooting three, he's taking three three-pointers a game. I mean, this is a guy who's, he's trying to get it done, but all, every single stat there is, is down from his freshman year, despite expectations that he would have a much better season, a much bigger season, a much more important season this year. Uh, Donald, uh, go ahead and talk about Wendell for a second, and then I'll yeah, finish up. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Jack White and his slump that he had last year. I don't know if you recall this, but, you know, 93 years ago uh, last season, uh, that was the last game that I went to. Where I was standing next to Sam, and, you know, it was a full Cameron. The Miami game. Yeah. The Miami game. And when he when Jack White hit that three to kind of break his slump, the eruption that happened – I was there too. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was that eruption that just just took everyone was like, oh man, now we are finally back. We're not going to have that when Wendell Moore breaks the slump. And I don't know if that's a a psyche thing because that led Jack White to have a really good game against Miami. I think when it comes to Wendell, this is where the energy from the team needs to be stronger around him because they need to make, because we can't give it to him. The, the crazies can't give it to him. So the team needs to be like, Hey, we still trust you. We still have confidence in you just go out and shoot the way we know you can. And this slump is going to break it, Whatever he's as funky's in is going to break. It's not, it's not going to be permanent. And when it happens, I, it needs to be something where when, when he makes that shot, everyone around the nation is kind of like on their couch, just collects his sign. Like, whew, okay, now we can get back to business. So I'll say this about Wendell. He is an 80% free throw shooter. He hit 80% of his free throws last year. He hit 80% of his free throws so far this year. A guy that shoots that well from the free throw line, the statistical models will tell you, is someone who is going to be a good shooter, an efficient shooter in other aspects of his game. And you know, one thing I want to add about him, um, early in the game against Bellarmine, Wendell got to the free throw line at one point. And, and my, my buddy, Carlos, uh, sent me an email and he said, Bellarmine just fouled Wendell Moore as he was driving to the hoop. Did they not have any game take on Duke? Did, did, did they not know you just let him shoot? Don't foul him when he goes to the hoop, which I thought was kind of funny. And Carlos also said to me, he said, I sadly think that Wendell Moore may have picked his jersey number based on his shooting percentage this year. Folks, if you have not been paying attention, Wendell Moore is wearing the number zero. Ouch. And Carlos is messed up, man. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's kind of down on Wendell at the moment. So anyway, I just want I, – I, I found those comments to be amusing. I wanted to point them out. All right, guys, we're going to get to the last category here. This is final thoughts. And, and I want this to be kind of – it's both final thought on the game but also forward-looking a little bit. You know, what are the things you saw in this game that you need to see Duke taking forward? Um, and uh, uh, Sam, I'll go to you first. Final thought. Going forward, I want Duke to take more advantage of the depth of their rotation. They have different guys that, that bring different skill sets. There are lots of big men on this roster that all do somewhat different things, and we got to see a little bit more of that against Bellerman. Let the depth dictate how Duke is going to play on a given night. And I know that's tough for coach Mike Krzyzewski, who is used to playing only six or seven guys, but this really feels like the year where you need to let, let who's on for the night dictate who's actually playing. Well, so ironically, my final thought also involved the depth. Although I specifically said, how much will coach K continue to use his big men? Um, You know, this was a game like we said, we saw all 11 guys, uh, and, and we especially got to see some of the bigs we haven't seen much of. Henry Coleman, uh, by the way, I haven't really talked about him. I thought Henry Coleman was pretty impressive in the eight minutes that he played, had a couple steals. You could tell that for a guy his size, he's got the quickness of feet to be able to guard on the perimeter and his steals, you know, it looks like that wasn't, you know, just a fluke. That looks like something he will be able to replicate. Um, so I, I'm excited about, you know, Henry Coleman's potential feature. I already talked about Mark Williams uh, you know, there, there's some real options there in terms of the bigs. And, and my thing going forward is, was, was the depth that we saw a function of playing a, a weaker opponent 
or is this something that Coach K will continue to experiment with, continue to use, specifically the bigs, as we move forward both against a big team like Illinois, but also into the ACC battles because we're about to get close to the ACC coming up very soon. Donald, what's your what's your final thought? Uh, quickly on, on Henry Coleman, I think that ability that you said to be a big man and still have the quickness of feet to defend on the perimeter is a very interesting tool to have in your in your depth. So I want to see how Coach K utilizes that going forward, especially against Illinois, because I think it would be something that would be interesting to see. I will say that my takeaway moving forward, at least for the next couple of games, Sam kind of hinted at it. It's turnovers to see if we can get that turnover rate down. I know that's the stat that he's been looking at all year with regards to assist to turnover ratio. You know, the other night or last night we had 20 turnovers. I'm sorry, 20 assists and 18 turnovers. So the assists were up, but also the turnovers. I want to see if we can get those turnovers back down because if we are, we're going to be, I think our improvement will go much quicker if we get our turnovers back down because it ties into a lot of things that we've been looking at you know, assists to turnover ratio, free throws. And for you, Jason, your, your heralded stat of free throw, uh, field goal attempts, because if you don't have the ball, you can't attempt a free throw. Amen. That is definitely, definitely true. Okay, guys. So that's it for the Bellarmine game. Congrats to the Blue Devils. A nice win. Uh, but we need to move on and look ahead because there's something pretty darn significant lying right in our path. Coming up on Tuesday, the ACC Big Ten Challenge begins and Duke faces Illinois, one of the best teams in the country a team that is experienced and very talented, uh, sort of a rarity that you get in college basketball, a team with guys who are going to be playing to the next level. Guys will be playing in the NBA, but guys who are also experienced. These are players who are going to be NBA contributors and are not freshmen. (laughs) It's something Duke's not very familiar with, but Illinois is familiar with it. Sam, I'll let you start off. Tell me what you know about Illinois, what we should be looking forward to in this game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I'm glad that you highlighted that NBA talent that is not freshman as being the key to Illinois, because that's exactly what I was going to start with. There are two guys on Illinois' roster who were projected NBA draft picks not last year, not necessarily like lottery picks or even necessarily first round picks, but both Io Desunmu and Kofi Cockburn are back for the Illini this season. Desunmu is in his junior season and Cockburn's in his sophomore season. Those guys are the two blessed players for the Illini. Those are the guys that Duke is going to have to focus on. So I wanted to talk about each of them and, and what Duke is going to have to do to counter them. So first on Desunmu, he's, I guess he's the point guard. He's the lead guard for Illinois. He's the do-everything guard for Illinois. And he's a bigger guy. He's, he's shaped like Wendell Moore, 6'5", 200, can, can really mix it up uh, in the paint. Has a really, well, his outside shot prior to this season was not very good. One of the reasons that he decided to come back to school for his junior season is that his shooting was so bad that it was really going to, to kill his draft stock. I mean, he, if he was a, an okay three-point shooter, might have been a first-round pick a couple weeks ago. With his shooting as it was his sophomore season, was projected somewhere in the second round. So come back to school. We've seen a lot of guys like this. Come back to school, improve your three-point shot, and things are going to work out for you. So far, it is working out for Io Desumno. He's 8 for 17 from three-point range. That's just under 50%. Obviously, it's early in the season, but the returns so far for him are, are very strong, which is a scary thing for Duke because you know we have a couple guys who are, who are good perimeter defenders, but I don't think anyone has stepped up to show that they are the perimeter defender for Duke yet. It could be Wendell Moore. It could be Jordan Goldwire. It could be one of the freshmen realizes that, that they've got more of that defensive perimeter strength than, than anyone has shown so far, but stopping Io Desunmu is going to be tough, especially now that he has a three-point shot that at least early in the season appears to be working. The other key player I mentioned for Illinois is Kofi Cockburn. He's a seven-footer, 280 pounds. He is a big dude, and he is talented. He scores a lot of points. He is averaging nearly a double-double with with over nine and a half rebounds a game. Duke is going to have its hands full with Cockburn. The key for him and the key for the Blue Devils is that he tends to get in foul trouble. He only has been playing a little over 20 minutes a game so far this season for Illinois. He only played 27 minutes a game last year. That's mostly due to foul trouble. He has, he has a hard time staying on the floor. So we talked about how Donald mentioned that Duke has had a hard time with drawing charges or they, they are giving up charges. They're, they're going into the lane and knocking guys over 
they need to continue to be aggressive in the lane in this game because one of the keys is getting Cockburn out of the game. If they can get Kofi Cockburn out, Illinois does not have a, you know, they, they have a, a backup center. And now I can't remember his name. It's Georgie. Uh, he's, he's from Georgia. He has a, he has a very, uh, very difficult name to say, Brashers Vili or something. He's, he's like notionally Illinois backup center, but no one brings the, the kind of thunder that that Cockburn does. So getting him out of the game is going to be really important for Duke. And then the last guy that I wanted to highlight it is uh, freshman Adam Miller. He's a four-star guard out of Chicago and is a, a big-time recruit for Illinois. He's had a pretty good season so far. He had a tough game against Baylor, which could be said of, of all of Illinois' players against Baylor because Baylor is very good and they, and they were very good against Illinois. But Adam Miller is a guy that is maybe he's an NBA draft pick this year, but more than likely is going to stick around for a sophomore season. He's been very strong so far and is going to be an important player, I think, for the Illini as well going forward. So so those three guys are, are the most important for Illinois. But overall, the key here is they're a great scoring team. They return a lot of talent, which is important. Jason mentioned that this is not something that we're used to seeing anywhere. You know, Michigan State is one of the teams that, that's notable for this, but not an Illinois team. They're not typically ranked in the top five, top 10, but they are there this season. So they're very good. They're very talented and they're very experienced. So Donald, let me ask you, because I know you always focus on physicality. Uh, what are you seeing? I mean, I see a guy like Kofi Cockburn, and I really worry about his ability to lean on Duke. This is a big, big individual. <laughs> He's like 280 pounds. Yeah, and, and really when it comes to physicality, this is, you know, Illinois is a team that kind of likes to borrow a lot from other teams in the Big Ten. This year they're borrowing a lot from Michigan State, and we luckily we just played them. I know we lost to them, but we were able to take some lessons from that game and apply them to this game, the physicality and the intensity, because here's the thing about Illinois, Illinois has wanted to play us for a long time. They have wanted us. They have clamored for us in the big 10 ACC challenge every year. They make a big stink that they're not playing us. Well, they finally got us this year. So, that intensity is going to be there on their side. They want this game. They've been looking forward to this game. And I want to see our guys match that intensity to say, you know what? You wanted to play us? <laughs> sign, sign your sentence right here because we are coming for you as well. It's in Cameron. It's in our house. I, like All these games have been so far. So I want to see us ratchet the intensity up a little bit. We have not seen that so far from this team. I want to see these guys match the intensity of the other team coming into our house to try and play us in our gym. Can they do that? That physicality is going to be important. It's going to be important, especially when you talk about trying to get Cockburn into foul trouble. I think our physicality can match theirs. The intensity is the thing that I'm looking for as well. Can we match that? Because if we can do those two, Illinois will be shocked in Cameron. Well, you know why Illinois wants us? It's because Coach K tends to mine the state of Illinois, especially the city of Chicago, so well for primetime recruits. Anytime there is a top 10 recruit, top 15 recruit coming out of Chicago, Coach K always seems to be on him and typically seems to get him. And so many of the guys in this Illinois roster are from the state of Illinois, you know, not surprising in that, in that kind of regard um, that, that that they know and, and they recall those big names. DJ Stewart was one of them. He's the latest guy on the Duke roster who who came from Illinois that that Coach K you know went ahead and and grabbed. And so John I think Shire, he, yeah. John Shire, <laughs> Jalil Okafor. I mean, also also uh, AJ Griffin, our recruit from next year. His brother was at Illinois. He transferred, yes. and we were one of the final ones for him. Before I think he ended up at Syracuse. Yes, exactly. So yeah, there there are uh, there are just a number of connections in Duke players and, and Coach K's past to Illinois and to Chicago. And that's why I think they, they are going to be so excited for this game and so up for this game. Look, the, the thing I want to talk about with them is everyone knew coming into the season that Illinois is going to be one of the best teams in the country. There's a reason that they were matched up against Duke in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We always get one of the top teams in the Big Ten, and Illinois is unquestionably one of the top teams in the Big Ten. The surprising thing, everyone knew they were going to be really good, the shocking thing is they've been really outrageously good from three-point range so far this year. This is a team that's hitting like 45% of its three-pointers on the season thus far. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. And last year, Illinois was very good last year. Last year, they were a terrible, awful three-point shooting team. And you mentioned um, uh, 
uh, A.J. Griffin's brother, Alan Gr- Adam Griffin, I blanked on his, his name. But anyway, Griffin's brother was their best three-point shooter last year. He was the only guy on that team who could shoot from three, and he, has, he transferred. He left. So the book on Illinois was going to be that this was a team that couldn't shoot outside. And lo and behold, you know, what happens? But Dasunmu, uh, you know, suddenly is hitting like almost 50% of his threes. Adam Miller's in here. He's hitting 35% of his threes. They got other guys. Trent Frazier hits 47% of his threes. This is a team full of guys who bury three-pointers. We're only four games into the season for Illinois. So, you know, you don't know if this was a – this is a short-term thing or a long-term thing over the whole season. I think one of the things I'm going to be looking for, are they going to hit 40, 45 plus percent of their three-pointers against Duke because the way we've been playing, it'll be hard for us to keep up. We look like a team right now that is better on defense than we are on offense. And if Illinois is really efficient and good on offense, I think that could spell you know, real bad news for Duke in the ACC Big Ten Challenge against Illinois. So we're going to get to the rest of the ACC Big Ten Challenge coming up in just a moment. But first, a quick commercial break. All right, gentlemen, we're back, and we want to talk a little bit more about the ACC Big Ten Challenge. It's a big deal for the conference. We, we talk about this every year. I think that this is a chance for the ACC to show itself as the best, one of the best conferences in the nation. That, is, that matters when it comes time to, uh, to go ahead and, and get NCAA tournament bids. Um, so the, the way I want to do our, our, our preview is let's try this. Let's each highlight sort of another game. We, we talked, of course, about the Duke-Illinois game. Highlight another game that you think is a big deal in this challenge. And, and Donald, I'll, I'll go to you first. What, what, which game are you going to be watching? Who do you want to see play each other in this challenge? I think one of the most intriguing matchups is UNC versus Iowa. Uh, and really, it's because of Luca Garza. He is destroying college basketball right now. He's only averaging 34 points per game so far. Uh, for the Hawkeyes. He had 36 in the first half of their game against Southern, and he's also averaging almost 10 boards a game. So he is clearly outpacing everyone so far in college basketball this year. It'll be intriguing to see his matchup against Garrison Brooks. You know, we were talking about these guys on Illinois who came back after it could have been NBA draft picks. That's the Luca Garza is sort of the, this is a guy who was in contention for national player of the year last year. And, and most folks said, yeah, if he goes in the draft, he'll be probably a second rounder, maybe late first. But, you know, he was going to get drafted if he went in the draft. He decided to come back. He's wrecking. He is wrecking the sport people. right now. It's, it's unreal. Yeah. And, and so I want to see that battle between him and Garrison Brooks of UNC, also a guy who's come back. Uh, UNC struggled a little bit this year. I, I know they just lost to Texas, but they're going to go as far as Garrison Brooks is going to lead them. And I think with regards to this, just the overall nature of the ACC Big Ten Challenge, it's always a big deal for the two conferences. I think it's even more of a big deal this year when you don't have as many non-conference games, when games are getting canceled all over the place. I know we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this, the, the success of this challenge is paramount for both conferences this year to kind of win – the selection show happens sometime in March or April or May, whenever it is, when that happens, that they can say, hey, you know, if you're comparing conferences, our conference is clearly better. There's not a lot of opportunities this year for Power Five conferences to assert their dominance over another. This is the major time for that to happen. I don't even think the SEC Big 12 challenge that normally takes place is happening this year. This is the main one. This is the big one. So I want to see the ACC come out and whoop some ass. Sam, what game are you looking forward to in the challenge? Another game against two highly regarded teams, one of which is a, a team that, that has befuddled Duke recently, is Florida State and Indiana. They are both teams that are ranked in the top 25 in Ken Palm. They're actually both in the teens in Ken Palm. So it should be a, a pretty good matchup. The guy that I'm looking forward to seeing at Florida State is Scotty Barnes. He's a freshman five-star recruit. Florida State does not often get top recruits scotty barnes is is has a is a higher rated prospect than anybody on on the duke roster is right now so that's a guy that that 
is going to make a big impact for Florida State. They've only played one game so far this season. That was against North Florida, and they they killed them. So I'm very curious to see how Florida State performs against Indiana, a team that is not quite as highly regarded as Illinois or Iowa or Michigan State in the Big Ten, but they're right up there. They're going to be very competitive this season. They're led by Trace Jackson Davis, um, who's, a, who's a very strong player for them. They had a pretty tough game against Texas in the Maui Invitational that was actually played in Asheville, but they recovered from that poor performance and had a nice win against Stanford the next night in the consolation game. So both of these teams look like they could have pretty strong seasons. I think they're both just two of the you know three or four best teams in, in their conferences, so it's going to be a good one to watch. And finally... The game is being played in Tallahassee, where apparently there are not enough restrictions on people doing things during the pandemic, such that there are going to be fans in the stands for the Florida State-Indiana game. Personally, I'm just, (laughs) see, here's my opinion. I think that's a bad idea. But if you're tuning into this game on Wednesday, you are going to see fans in the stands. So that's going to be weird and strange. And I, I don't think I like it, but there should be a good basketball game. So the game I want to highlight is the team that was supposed to be the best team in the ACC, the Virginia Cavaliers, and they are playing Michigan State. And there are a few different reasons that this, I think this is a really interesting game to highlight. But the first thing that jumps off the page is that probably the best player on Virginia and perhaps the best player on Michigan State are brothers, Sam and Joey Hauser. And uh, they played together at Marquette. Now they are playing on different teams. Um, and, and I'll be very interested in seeing the two of them match up with each other. Uh, look, the reason I'm highlighting this game is because I want to know what kind of team Virginia is. We have seen a sort of a very weird season thus far from Virginia Cavaliers. Uh, they, you know, they, they have not been as good as they usually are, <laughs> uh, especially on defense. They, they, had, they had a game that they lost to San Francisco. Uh, I want to repeat that again. They lost to San Francisco. Uh, Virginia is usually a team that's somewhat, you know, you feel like it's somewhat immune to, to the shocking upset, despite, you know, what happened to them in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. Because they play such good defense, teams that are not highly regarded usually are not very successful against them. And if you thought that loss to San Francisco was an aberration, well, just a couple of days later, they went out and went to overtime. Now they won, but they had to go to overtime against Kent State, um, Kent State, not exactly well-known for its basketball program. The, the, the reality is this is a different Virginia team we've seen from past seasons. They, they actually seem to be human on defense. <laughs> I've seen some, um, some stuff that says that they may only be like the third best defensive team in the country. But the other side of that is they're actually kind of competent on offense. So they've got several players, Jay Huff and, and Hauser, um, a kid named Trey Murphy III, and um, uh, Reese Beekman who are all actually pretty good, efficient offensive players. Reese Beekman, in fact, is a top 50-ish kind of recruit. Um, he, he's a pretty good, you know, he's a sign of how Virginia's recruiting has been on the rise lately. He doesn't score a ton, but this guy plays the third most minutes on the team. He's, he's a Virginia kind of player. And I, I, I just think it, it's going to be very interesting for me to see Virginia against a good opponent. They've struggled against bad opponents. And we know Michigan State. We know Michigan State's a top 10 team. They, they took care of Duke. And in terms of physicality, I mean, these are two teams that like to make their opponent uncomfortable. This is going to be the uncomfortable versus uncomfortable game. Very, very physical teams. And, and I, you know, I think it, it may be the one that tells you, tells you the most about the ACC. If Virginia is really going to be as good as preseason expectations said they were, they need to prove it by beating Michigan state because most folks said that this Virginia team was clearly the best team in the ACC. And so far we have not seen that. So guys, time for a change of topic. Uh, It was in our schedule, in our rundown, we said we were going to discuss the football team here, the football game here. We're going to spend as much time on the football game as the Duke football team scored points this year. Uh, Sorry about this year, but uh, in their game against Miami, that would be zero. So zero time spent on the football team. Not quite on. Huh? Moving, Moving on. on. Next topic. Exactly. I will yes. say real quickly, it was really bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Yes. Uh, so that's it for the football game. Let's go on. I want to talk a little bit about what's been going on in college basketball across the universe of college basketball, which is COVID. We have seen 
more than 20% of all college hoops games this season have been canceled or postponed. Think about that. One out of every five games. Duke has lost two of our games so far this season. We are not alone. 21% of all college hoops games this season have been canceled or postponed on Saturday alone. 12 of the 27 games scheduled for that day were not played. That's 44%. Did not get played. There were six teams in the top 25 who were supposed to play on Saturday. Only two of them did. And among the games that got canceled, Gonzaga versus Baylor, one versus two. And I say canceled. Really, you know, it's both a combination of canceled and postponed because some of these games, teams are going to try to make up. Gonzaga and Baylor say they're absolutely going to make up their game at some point. But, uh, gentlemen, Donald, I'll go to you first. What is going on? Is, should college basketball be playing games right now? The answer is no. They shouldn't be. Should anything be playing right now? The answer is no, it shouldn't be. But they're still trying to press on it. Just like, just like Sam said in the last thing, we have, we have games that are going to have fans in the stands next, uh, uh, this week. And we had half of the games on Saturday canceled. And mind you, that does not count one game that came about because of COVID. Seton Hall played Oregon in Creighton, or in Omaha at Creighton's, on Creighton's court because they weren't, one of them didn't want to travel all the way to the West. They didn't want to travel to the East. So they said, let's just meet in the middle for a one-off game, which is very rare to do it. The Baylor-Gonzaga game, correct me if I'm wrong, I think was supposed to be in Indianapolis. Uh, yes. So – so though, like we have these games that are getting scheduled one-off games and they're not you know, the Seton Hall, Oregon game happened. It was weird to watch them play Creighton or on Creighton's court, but a lot of these games aren't happening. And honestly, Baylor and Gonzaga can talk all they want about rescheduling this game. But if we're talking about rescheduling this game for like January, yeah, maybe. But as we get later on into the conference seasons for everyone, it's going to be way harder to reschedule a lot of these games. And do you think one versus two is going to try and do that closer to the tournament? No, they want to do this. They want to do this now for a reason. They don't want to play in March when it could affect their seating for the NCAA tournament or what have you. They want to do it now where they can say, Hey, we may have lost the number one or number two back in December, but we've learned and grown from that. This is where the, the scheduling they're saying it now, it sounds good now, but down the road, they either a, may not want to or B may not be able to because other the other these games are going to get canceled. We have conference games that are now starting to get postponed. There's going to be the priority of getting made up. So this is just a mess. It, to to make it short, this is a mess and I don't know how college basketball fixes this other than stopping and playing, but they're going to keep playing. And and so we have to watch this mess continue. Yeah. So Sam, let me ask you the same question. Should we be playing college basketball games right now? Probably not. I did enjoy the story this week about how Stanford was in North Carolina for the quote-unquote Maui Invitational. And then we're like, hey, we're in North Carolina. Any teams in North Carolina want to play us? They were you know, running the similar playbook that, that Mike Bray was playing on Twitter a couple weeks ago when he was asking if any teams want to play Notre Dame. So I enjoy the, the sort of ridiculousness of watching these major conference teams try to schedule games. But no. None of this should probably be happening right now. The case rate is skyrocketing in, in cities and states all over the country. There is not a place, I think, right now that you could consider definitively safe. And the weirdest thing about the non-conference games here is all these teams trying to schedule games in, in neutral side arenas. Like Donald highlighted the, the game that was being played in Omaha between two teams not from Omaha. Why? Like, why are we adding additional locations to these? Like the, the teams each come with the risk of having been in wherever they came from. So Oregon is coming from Oregon. Seton Hall is coming from the East Coast and they have whatever risk they're assuming. By meeting in Omaha, they're adding the risk of adding, you know, whatever exposure they would get in Omaha. So there, there's just, there's too many complicating factors here. And I think we should be, you know, us on this program, we're going to talk about Duke basketball games when they get played because that's what we like. But I think it's appropriate for us to be asking, like, is any of this a good idea? Is, is anything set up here to be safe for players, for coaches, for the limited number of people that they let into the arenas? We've said how it's one thing in football where everything happens outside. Basketball happens inside. All of these things are happening in, in cramped arenas. And 
it, 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 it seems silly to me right now that we're doing it. We'll keep talking about it as long as it goes on, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are larger shutdowns across, especially the, the lower tier conferences, but even the major conferences heading into the, into the holiday break where we know that you know, people are moving around more. And so we're going to see more cases and more exposure. And really, when it comes to Duke, I mean, yes, we get to discuss Duke basketball because, as we've discussed several times, we've we've had you know great protocols in place. We've been very lucky. I mean, the fact that we've had two games postponed, one has been rescheduled for uh, a couple weeks from now, the Gardner-Webb game that was supposed to open the season. All these are occurring because of cases within the program that we're playing, not within our program. We have been very, very lucky in the fact that we've gone so far without doing this, and I hope we keep that going. But this is something that we're going to have to keep talking about as long as it keeps happening because every team, including us, has been affected by it. Well, yeah, Sam made the point of what other teams are doing. I think it's telling Duke is doing the exact opposite. Duke is not traveling. Duke is not going to, you know, third locations. They're not even going to other teams' home courts. They are staying in Durham. Duke is not finding replacement opponents. When, when, when a, a Duke game gets, you know, when an opponent cancels or has to postpone, Duke doesn't go out there and say, hey, Duke, Coach K doesn't get on Twitter <laughs> and say, hey, does anyone want to play Duke? Uh, believe me, he could have, and he would have had, you know, probably 50 uh, private messages in his inbox saying, yes, me, please name the date and time. Everyone wants to play Duke because we are the big boys. Um, he has done the exact opposite. He has found teams that, that for various reasons, Duke thinks will be safe, that Duke thinks is doing the right kind of protocols and the such. And we are not deviating from any of that. Look, this week we saw the ACC, we've already lost our first ACC game. Virginia and Wake were supposed to play. It's not even like the game was supposed to be, you know, this weekend or, or a couple days from now. It's, it's like 10 days from now. And it's already been canceled because Wake has such a bad outbreak on their team that they're going to be in, you know, they're on pause. They're going to be, you know, covered up for something like two weeks. And, and so they Virginia- luckily, and they luckily were the team that was excluded from the ACC Big Ten Challenge because otherwise they would have lost that game too. Exactly. Yeah. Wake's not playing for a couple weeks and they're not playing that game against Virginia. It's the first game that the ACC has lost. I guarantee you it won't be the last. <laughs> there are going to be plenty. And, you know, I want to get back to sort of the, the thing that started our conversation with this, the question of whether or not this is a good idea. And you guys both said no. And, and I will give you two answers to that. One answer is, good God, no. Of course, it's not a good idea. But my other answer is this. Basketball programs need to make money for their universities, for their athletic departments. And this is not smart. This is not safe. But sadly, I think some of these games are necessary for these programs to survive because there there have been huge losses by not having fans in the stands, by not having as much football and the only way some of these programs survive is by having basketball games played. So I understand why college basketball is doing it. I think it's probably wrong on some level, but I also, I also kind of get it. And I would just beg these programs to please be smart about the way they're doing this. And that leads me to my second point, if I can really quickly. And that is that, Gonzaga may be the number one team in the nation, but what Gonzaga is doing is wrong and is bad. They have now had two players and two people close to the team test positive in the past week. They went ahead and played a game against Auburn a week ago, even though they knew that COVID was going through their clubhouse. They had a player and a person close to the team test positive prior to that Auburn game. And they went, okay, those folks won't participate. The rest of us are fine. And here we are a week later, and we know now that the rest of them were not fine that they had more cases of, of people on their team. Uh, you know, Auburn hasn't reported any cases as a result of that game against Gonzaga, but boy, they really could have because there's absolutely no question in my mind that someone else on Gonzaga probably had COVID, at least in the early stages when they played Auburn. And look, I get that this is going to impact teams and that folks are going to catch it. I'm not blaming Gonzaga for having cases on their team. That's going to happen. It's not their fault. But when they choose to play anyway, despite people on their team, people close to their team having COVID, but the word is that they wanted to play Baylor anyway. But local health officials said, 
are you effing crazy? No, you're not playing when you have players on your team that have COVID. If I had a vote in the top 25, I would not rank Gonzaga right now. As far as I'm concerned, that program is verboten. They are not to be ranked because of what they are doing. They are being harmful to the rest of college basketball, the way they're cavalierly treating this disease and the fact that it is running through their clubhouse. And I want to be clear. The odds of a player, young, healthy players, dying is incredibly small from this. But there's a decent chance that you get this, you're going to be really sick, that you're going to be bedridden. Even if you're really young, you could have a bad outcome from this. You could lose your sense of smell and taste for a long period of time. You could suffer heart and lung complications. It could be very serious. There are college football players, college football players, young, healthy college football players who caught COVID and have heart conditions that have put their careers in jeopardy. It's not just about the players also. It's about the coaches, the training staff, the other folks who are around them, folks who are older and more vulnerable. So like I said, it's a bad idea. We shouldn't be doing it. We kind of have to do it because of the money. But if we're going to do it, do it smart and don't be cavalier about it. Shame on Gonzaga. Shame on the best program in the country right now because they are not doing it smart. You actually touched on two things that kind of tie into this whole pandemic. Uh, one, nothing is open because it's safe. It's open because of the economics. Same thing with college basketball and college football. There's one reason why they're playing is because they need the money. That is two, a great, that's a great point. Two, people need to exercise self-responsibility. Some programs, Gonzaga, are not doing that. Some programs, Duke so far, are. Like, those things are two things that you could say about anything in life right now with regards to this pandemic. Personal responsibility and just the economics of things are why this is, this is happening. I gesture it all outside for those of you listening. So this is, you know, these are two things at the end of the day, do you want to be safe? If you'd want to be safe, then there's no other answer. Stop playing until this is under control. If you want to keep going because you have to make money, then this is where, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have to deal with this. And we can't, then talk about, oh, I don't know how to fix this situation because there is one way to fix the situation. The problem is no one wants to turn the faucet back off after turning it on. The thing that surprises me about the different teams that are playing here is that I don't see the programs that do have rigorous testing protocols in place advertising the fact that they're doing that. And I feel like that could actually be something of a boon to them. Like Duke, I don't think, is talking enough about how well they're isolating the basketball team from everybody else. There are obviously news stories about how well the university is doing on COVID testing. And, and we've talked about that here and, and possibly, you know, how lucky they've gotten on that front. But I'm surprised that Duke didn't come out and say, look, here are our protocols publicly. You're not going to play us unless you're adhering to the same standard, because there could be more of a point of differentiation between programs that, that appear to be trying to take this thing responsibly and, the programs that are basically Gonzaga that are, are doing it all kind of by the seat of their pants and, and not really worrying about the consequences. But yeah, all of this just really strikes me as, as, as a bad idea. I'm, I'm staying home like all the time because I'm, I'm kind of you too know. scared to go yeah. do anything else. So it's a, uh, it's a tough and, and weird time to be alive. Yeah. By the way, I want to add one last little thing uh, to what Donald said, and, and, and I said it as well, about why these games are being played. It, it is about the money, 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 money. It's also about one other thing, which is the players really, really, really want to play. Um, we've heard repeatedly that the players are, are just, they're, they're so excited that they're getting to play right now. Um, these are folks who have played basketball, you know, continuously throughout their entire young life. And the, the idea that they would take a year off from it, um, uh, yeah, I think uh, there, there just aren't many guys who, who want to do that at all. So I think part of this is the coaches probably have heard from players that they really, really want to do this, that they want to play, they want to get better, they want to test themselves. And, and a lot of them want to you know, see if they can move on to the next level of the NBA. But even the ones who aren't interested in the NBA are really interested in still playing basketball and um, – and getting that competition itch scratched, so to speak. And guys, speaking of a competitive itch, time for our player of the week. It is Sunday. 
and we must pick the Blue Devil who had the best week. I think there are a few contenders out there, although I also won't be surprised if we all pick the same guy because <laughs> we seem to do that a lot. Sam, I'll go to you first. Who's your player of the week? You know what? It won't be unanimous. I'm going to take Jamin Brakefield unless the rest of you guys take Jamin Brakefield, which would be an amazing call. But I'm very impressed with what we've seen from him so far. And four for four from behind the three-point arc we highlighted as being fairly unique, not, not entirely unique, but rare among Blue Devil freshmen. So I'll give it to Jamin Brakefield. I don't know how many more of these he's going to win this season. So let's, let's hear it for the freshmen. Donald, who you got? I'm really glad that Sam picked Jamin Brakefield so I can take Matthew Hurt and both guys can be recognized. Uh, I felt those two were the two best guys of the week, but Matthew Hurt led the team in scoring 20-point outputs in both uh, against both Michigan State and Bellarmine, uh, so he is my player of the week. You know, we have not spoken enough today in this podcast about the week that Matthew Hurt had. He had a great week. He had a great game against Bellarmine, six for eight from three. Dude was, dude was draining. This is the Matthew Hurt that everyone was saying, you know, was going to be a first-round draft pick and, and one of the best players in the ACC. But my player of the week is Jamin Brakefield, uh, who, you, you know, it's not often that you get sort of the surprise freshman at Duke. Our freshmen tend to be so highly touted that we tend to know, you know, sort of who's, who's been the breakout player. Even a guy like last year, Cassius Stanley, who you could say was a little bit of a surprise. He wasn't the highest rated guy on the team, even though he turned out to be the best freshman on the team. Uh, I guess Vernon Carey. Okay, one of the best freshmen on the team. Anyway, but um, with Cassius Stanley, at least we started hearing in the preseason. We we knew uh, going in very early on that he was turning out to be a very special player. We didn't hear that about Jamin Brakefield. We've talked about the fact that he was like the guy who was talked about the least of anybody in the preseason. And then here we go, we start playing games and he steps up in a very big way. So uh, I guess... Two out of three of us say that Jamin Brakefield was the player of the week, but we also tip our cap to Matthew Hurt. A great week for all three of those guys. And I'm kind of bummed we couldn't find a way to mention Mark Williams. I just think eight was so great against Bellerman, and I'm looking forward to seeing more and more of him um, playing going forward. There, I've mentioned three guys. so, <laughs> <laughs> and, they all, and they all deserve to be mentioned. But that's going to do it for us here on this episode of the DBR Podcast. Thanks to Sam Klein and Donald Wine for joining me, Jason Evans. Folks, this is the time in the podcast when we do the business of reminding you that you must like and subscribe. You must send us email, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We read those emails on this podcast all the time. The other thing we read is your reviews. Whatever podcast platform it is you use, although we prefer iTunes because that's the one that's used by most people most often, put a review there. Put a nice review about this podcast, and we will go ahead and read it on the air for you. But until that time, we are done, and this is the Duke Band that's taking home. Uh, they've got several guys, Joey Huff. Um, uh, sorry, he's not Joey. What's his first name? Sam Huff, right? It's it's Jay Huff. Jay Huff, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Huff is. Uh, I think it Sam was. Huff. I think it was Jason Huff, but Zion knocked most of his name off when he dunked on him a couple <laughs> years ago. Wait, isn't Sam Huff? Isn't Sam Huff like a football player or something? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You keep talking, Jason. It's yeah. just Jay. It's just Jay now. Let me give you a big Labor Day surprise. Most people think if we all exercise the same and eat the same, we'd all look the same. And let me tell you why that's wrong. Your body is unique and your metabolism is unique. I'm Lacey Green, and I'm a super trainer at Body. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And you can't see me, but I don't look like your average personal trainer. I'm curvy, and I'm proud of it. So I created a program for beginners only on the Body app to show people like us how to get incredible results and be our version of happy and healthy. This isn't just workout videos. 
videos. It's people like you and me. It's community. It's incredible trainers. It's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better. And you can get started with my new program called For Beginners Only. Now, here's the big surprise. If you go to body.com right now, that's B-O-D-I.com, not only can you get everything Body has to offer at 50% off with an annual membership, you'll also get an additional 20% off, but only during Labor Day weekend. Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I.com.